You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Shot blocked. Porzingis with his fourth rejection. What he does is contagious. He comes infectious. And across the lane, Baker launches it. Jack to Porzingis. Fires up the ball. Welcome, everybody, to Locked On Knicks, the podcast that's in the 99th percentile of coming from the land of the ice and snow, from the midnight sun where the hot springs flow, the hammer of the gods. I'm your host, James Marcita, a.k.a. Wheezy F. Jamesy, and this this is episode 266. Mm. On today's episode, we're joined by Dylan Dente of Posting and Toasting, Fan Sided, and the New York Basketball Observer Podcast. He's joining me for a deep dive on the most shady, Frankie Baby. That's right, Frank Nilakina. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Like, we say he's good on defense all the time on the show, but we're going to get into it, into the nitty gritty. We say he struggles sometimes on some of his offensive things, to use the most technical term possible. We're going to get into it on the nitty gritty. Before we get all nitty and all gritty, just want to remind you guys that we got a mailbag episode coming up on Friday. If you got any questions for me, send them in to LockedOnNix at gmail.com. You can also tweet at me at LockedOnNix. All right, let's start the show. Hit it, Marv. Yes. Dylan, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, James? I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to talk about Frank Nilakina. One of my favorite things to do on the podcast, as long-time listeners know. You, sir, wrote an excellent piece for Posting and Toasting, breaking down Frank Nilakina's game in greater detail than I usually get into on the show. So... I would like to kind of pick your brain about some of your findings, get, you know, really into the nuts and bolts of what you saw. I'm assuming you watched, like, thousands of hours of tape for that piece? Uh, thousands is is accurate, maybe a little less than that, but too much, uh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy watching Frank a lot. These, these defensive guys... Um, you know, I was I was a little bit obsessive over Holiday last year, um, but the guys—that's who I think I'm really drawn to watching. That and it, it makes it fun and easy. Is the guys who really dig in and defend. That's interesting. Um, so many people. I talk a lot about defense uh, on the show because obviously it's half the game and incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And the Knicks haven't mm-hmm. played it for years. But I do find kind of after a lot of shows, I'm like, man, I talked about the offense. Like a lot, just because for me, it just, I don't know, it it stands out more weirdly, like individual plays, even though, like not exclusively at all, but I yeah. just found that interesting when you said, you know, like I love watching defensive tape, like how did that... I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Well, first of all, you got to be, you know, you want to be mainstream, James. You got to talk about the offense. That's what people care about. <laughs> but um, I want those clicks. I mean, like, yeah, as, as stupid as this is, like... Watching watching guys defend. First of all, you have to typically not watch the ball, but um, you know, unless they're playing on ball defense. But most most defense happens away from the ball. You have to yeah. watch that a lot. Um, 
And it's almost like defense is like an art. So it's it's like the, you know, it's it's like the B-rate um, indie film, if you will. So, you know, people get really hyped on their Marvel movies. And and uh, if you get into the real nitty gritty, it's like a, a good comparison, I think, would be something like that. Like, you know, the under the radar stuff that people miss uh, on first watch. No, definitely. And it can get you equally hyped if you know what you're looking for. Like, if I see Trey Burke do a ball denial for like 10 seconds in a row and they can't get it to a guy they're trying to get it to, I'll, I'll like lose my shit watching that. Oh, it's, it's so embarrassing when I watch games because the stuff that I like care about is the dumbest shit ever. <laughs> People in the bar are like, what are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, that well, rotation, it's, it's beautiful. Exactly. I rewind, my my girl, my poor girlfriend sits next to me and watches most of these and I rewind it and I'm like, did you see the way he kind of rotated away from the ball and just, you know, it's just, like you said, like a ball denial and she's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, she doesn't care. <laughs> so we promised the people some frank talk. Let's get into his better-known half of his game, which is the defense. We talk about it all the time. He is already um, an above-average defender, I would say, in the league, yeah. uh, well on his way to being elite. But I want to talk about some of kind of like the details of some of the things he may be doing right. I'm wondering if maybe we can start with how he plays as a uh, pick-and-roll uh, defending the ball handler. Sure. So, so something to note, too. I think... Early on when people were really, um, I don't want to say disappointed, they did, he didn't get the KP treatment when he was drafted necessarily, but people were weary uh, of a kid they hadn't seen a whole lot of. And um, But something, you know, a kid with a wingspan like that, seven feet tall, or I'm sorry, seven foot wingspan, six foot five, uh, a lot of times players like that get drafted in the lottery just based on potential alone, you know, with that kind of size, um, which is great. That's fine. I understand teams doing that. But then if you look at him on film and when what he's done so far this year, he's smart. Like he's not just a, a guy with who's been, you know, blessed with long arms or anything like that. Like he's making specifically on pick and roll, uh, he fights over everything, which is something I don't I don't know that you can really teach that. It seems like you either fight over pick and rolls or fight over screens or you don't. Um and, and as, you as a defender. Him, well you mentioned him being smart, but um not but but I, I not but but I think part of that is being able to get over a screen is probably having that really um, above average defensive intelligence awareness and like knowing when it's coming, right? Yeah, Just that and you have to second know, of being able to anticipate it. Yeah, and also you don't do it on everyone, so you have to know it's a very quick decision. Like, do I need to fight over against this guy? Um, and like I so you know I, I detail this in the film a little bit. Guys like Rondo, he just dove every time. Tyler Ulis, he dove under the screen every time. So um, that, right off the bat, just scouting, I think, plays a huge role in how well you're able to defend the pick and roll. Um, but, you know, it's it's the little stuff like the footwork, too. It's not easy to get over some of these screens when you have, um, you know, like Nene or some yeah. beast trying to drop you with a screen. Like, those are tough. And they move, you know, like everyone in the NBA sure. shuffles a little bit. So. Um, when they yeah, called I mean, a moving it, screen on the, I forget who it was on Golden State against the Knicks the other day, I almost fainted. I was like, what? Yeah, no, I mean you don't see it called that often, and it's funny when you know you watch the film, and I think even I think I even tossed a clip in there once with a guy who like he was moving and he got called on it, so you know, and you and you'll get those calls if you fight over more often too. So that's another thing, um, you know, to, to kind of pay attention to. Yeah, and um, how does he do in terms of playing the passing lanes? Um, sometimes people can be can <laughs> play the passing lanes very aggressively, 
makes them look good when they get steals, but they overplay them and they gamble too much, it can, and it could hurt the team in the long run. How do you think he's doing there? Right, yeah, no, he's real solid. There's, um, like, for example, Dotson. Uh, I broke down Dotson before the season started based on his preseason stuff, and I think Dotson's a good defender, but... Um, yeah, that was something he did. He he overshot the lanes quite a bit. Um, when he didn't get the steals, it was trouble. So Frank does that. Every every defender will take a chance. But, you know, first of all, his reach, he doesn't have to really get that great a jump to get into the passing lane. Um, yeah. But he mostly, he mostly stays home uh, unless it's a sure bet. And he gets a lot of them, you know. I think, I wish I could remember the breakdown, but early on, I think before teams had a good idea uh, of who he was, his steal numbers were high. Like the first 10 games, he was right in the mix there with, uh, especially if you looked at like per 36, he was yeah. in the mix there with like, um, I think Paul George and a right. couple other guys who, you know, he's since fallen back a little bit because of minutes, but yeah, he's, he's usually, he usually stays at home pretty well. Uh, you don't want to overextend, but he does get his hands out there quite a bit. Talk to me about uh, beating offensive players to their spots. Beating, I thought you said beating off for a second. Um, <laughs> I guess that's PG-13. We'll keep yeah, that in, Dylan. We'll yeah, all right. Um, I'm not going to talk to you about that. No, well, yeah, beating beating offensive players to the spot was something that I saw him do quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think back some some specific examples. He, uh, uh, well, so first of all, same thing, on, on a lot of these screens, um, he's doing, you know, he's he's hedging them. So he's he's beating the screener to the spot. First of all, not just the ball handler, but he's beating the screener to the screen to kind of force him back. Mm. Uh, and you can hear and see uh, O'Quinn yell to Isaac quite a bit, and I, I think I showed that a couple times. Um, so it, it, that's helpful if you can jump and beat the screener too. But as far as the ball handlers, um, even when he's playing ISO and stuff like that, um, guys, you know, he he's not that strong yet, but he's still just his body type. Um, being 6'5 and being as quick laterally as he is at this point, uh, while he's not like the fastest guard off the ball with, or off the dribble rather or anything like that, but laterally, you know, he's good. That's what another thing that plays into his potential with his sides. But yeah, um, you know, he bodies guys up. I think uh, Kyrie, he bodied up pretty well. You know, that's a guy who I think you have to get into him a little bit. Yeah. And uh, he, he did a pretty good job on Kyrie for that reason. How about anything else on defense? Any kind of like small details he might be doing well? Hmm. Well, you can pick um, so I noticed a couple times when he does get beat, um, because he's so long, he's getting a lot of deflections and tips on passes or deflections and tips on shots, that kind of thing. Um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get beat typically and just give up. So that's, that's another plus. Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, he's he's just very solid. He his rotations are good. He's he's also I've seen him direct other players quite a bit, which is not something you see from a nineteen year old that often. Ah, um, have you heard his voice yet? I haven't like I mean I've spoken to him on the show, but I haven't yeah. I haven't heard him shouting the way Jared Jack does when I watch a game. No, I meant to say I meant to say that uh, when when you brought him up that we're talking about. Friend of the program, Frank Nealakina. That's true. Why did I not? Uh, I'm I don't know. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a hot take that I'm ready to right off the bat dish out. Let's I think I think uh, as a bold prediction, I think he might be a back to back Mountain Dew Rising Stars participant. If you could believe that. <laughs> um, Brought to you <laughs> by no. Mountain Dew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, you know, I think he's. I don't know. He he's obviously not like O'Quinn or Jared Jack or anything like that out there. Um, 
maybe he maybe he should be in the future a little bit more as he kind of I think he's going to get there. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, you know, you lead for example after a couple of years, everyone on the team knows that he's a good defender when you talk to them. That's kind of the first thing, not when I talk to them, when you maybe, but um, you know, when you see people sit down in interviews and they they get asked about Frank, that's obviously what they say. Everyone on the team knows that he's special defensively. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I think again, as he becomes a leader, you'll see probably more of that. You'll see him direct this guy, that guy. Um, I saw him, I saw him direct Tim Hardaway quite a bit. <laughs> no comment. And people yeah. get sick of me sometimes saying that he's 19 years old, but. Think about it. If you're 19 years old right now and you're listening to this, or you're like 15, how confident are you just going about your life? You know, when I was 19, I could barely talk to a girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this guy's out there with people who are the very best in the world at what they do, and they're getting paid millions of dollars to do it. And if he's like a little bit shy or a little bit reticent, but still showing, you know, like he shows moments where... He does command the offense. He points out spots where he wants people to go. Like he'll, the other day, he like he you know yelled at O'Quinn. It was like stand over there, and then he ran a pick and roll out of it. You know, mm-hmm. pulled up, cam the jumper. I mean, it's gonna take a little bit of time. <laughs> you know, that's and that's you actually bring something up that I I wanted to talk about. I can't believe that we didn't make um, a bigger deal about his his very brief altercation with LeBron like how many people do you see chest up LeBron right and this kid first of all he's like he's a le- like we drafted him he was 18 um so he's like a legit 19 he's not like 19 yeah, uh-huh. gonna be 20 before the season's over like he's a he's a teenager and uh and I, I think this was before LeBron said what he did about um Dennis Smith that was kind of like an in- indirect shot or whatever but yeah I mean like he wasn't gonna he's not gonna be bullied he's not like a super aggro dude out there or anything like that, but he, he didn't let LeBron push him around. And how many people, you know, like LeBron has respect across the league. Um, you know, the people who get chippy, even Draymond, you know, those guys, like their buds or whatever. But, you know, you don't see LeBron get into it with many people. Not that they got into it, but, you know, he's ready to like go toe to toe with LeBron as a, as a teenager. So he's not like, I don't think he's afraid of many things. He's not afraid of the moment, anything like that. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's tough as a 19 year old kid. I don't know. For sure. Um, we've, Sung his praises all the way to the heavens. I think Zeus can hear us on top of his mm. mountain right now. Is there anything in his defensive game that at all you can see as a negative? Like, do you, how often do you see him screwing up? Obviously, he's human. He's not perfect all the time. What's his big, biggest weakness, if any, on this side of the ball, do you think? Yeah. No, you're wrong. He's perfect all the time. Um, <laughs> no, no, he... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. I... And I didn't put it in the article because what I what I typically do is I'll watch a bunch of film and then when there's trends I'll put them in. But every now and then you get outliers, and that's what I saw. I mean I saw like 19 year old type of stuff. Like uh, oh maybe I did put one of them in the in the article. I can't remember. But you know there's there's once or twice he like was a little bit too high. Um, literally like once or twice where he was watching the defender didn't see the ball or vice versa was watching the ball didn't see his defender. It's just like little stuff that happens to people, mm-hmm. um, you know, vets and everybody like that, um, where, you know, you just have like a small lapse, but nothing that I saw more than like once or twice. Um, as he gets stronger, he's just going to be, I think he's going to be an animal. Um, the the thing about, I don't know if you heard Hornacek say that he'd never been in a weight program before, which is like, <laughs> yeah. on, on one hand, it's like, yeah, he's, he's a 19 year old kid. But on the other hand, it's like, 
I work for a company that like sets up strength and conditioning for middle school kids and stuff like this. That's <laughs> kind of crazy. Like, and to make it to the to the NBA, like, and never lifted a weight. Um, well, you played yeah. pro. You would think they had some sort of yeah. Weight what program. the hell are they? What are they doing over there? I don't understand. <laughs> like, does, are the are the stereotypes true? Where they just smoke cigarettes until the game time and they drink a coffee at halftime? Like, throwing um, baguettes around. Yeah, exactly. So. I don't know. I mean, like he's gonna get just, jacked then if he hasn't been yeah. in a weight program. Yeah, I agree. I think I think strength. I don't even want to say is his biggest weakness, but you know, you can see he's a, he's a little he's got a little bird chest, but um. Yeah, and yet, and yet, he's able like he has held his own against like power forwards randomly on switches. Exactly, where he just stands exactly. there, like he's got a strong base. Yeah, I think I think honestly, instead of a, speaking about a weakness, I think really we're just gonna see an improvement. Um, and into him being becoming a bully essentially like i think he's going to really overpower some some especially some point guards and some smaller guards if he puts on a little bit of muscle a bullying defensive point guard is just like such a foreign concept as a next one that would be such a delight i want to talk about his less heralded uh side of the ball his offense but first just want to remind you guys that you're listening to lockdown Knicks, part of the lockdown podcast network if you like what you hear Head on over to iTunes, write us five stars, leave a sentence or two review. I always like to know what you guys have to say about the show. Once again, that's Locked on Knicks. If you or a loved one lived in, worked in, or visited Lower Manhattan in the months after the September 11 attacks and have been diagnosed with cancer, federal benefits and health care may be available. Attorney Eddie Markowitz has helped many families recover substantial benefits from the September 11th Victims' Compensation Fund. The James Zadroga Health and Compensation Act has been extended, but time is limited. Attorney Markowitz is proud to serve as counsel to the Zadroga family. Let him help you too. These benefits are not just for rescue workers, but for anyone who qualifies. The fund covers cancers, including prostate cancer, skin, lung, and breast cancer. Please call 1-800-LAW-HELP. That's 1-800-LAW-HELP to see if you qualify. So let's talk about his offense. I think we can both agree, not quite at the level of his defense right now. Yeah, um, no, he's got a little work to do. He's got a little work to do. But what do you think, or what's something he's doing well right now? I think he's got pretty good vision. Uh, do you think his passing is passable? Oh, God, I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we can, we're going to jump around. But first of all, he's stroking the ball. I know we've, mm-hmm. we've, I, I talked about, um, and I think a couple people had tweeted about, like, his percentages since December. Uh, he's, like, borderline elite since then. Like, he's almost 40%. Um, granted, I think he's shooting maybe three or less attempts per game. Um, right. but still, I mean, he's shooting the ball pretty well. Uh, as far as his passing vision, when I was watching, and this is very nerdy, like I didn't, I didn't scout him like the Knicks did, but I watched a lot of his, um, his French league stuff and I saw some, some things there where I thought he displayed better vision than what I've seen thus far in the NBA. Um, and that might say something more about the competition than him. Interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, passing vision. I think it's there. I think he's he's thinking quite a bit on the court. You can see that sometimes. Yeah. Uh, he's a risk taker as a passer, <laughs> which he needs to dial back a little bit um, because obviously he's well, he's throwing. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. I mean, this does bring up 
Um, one of my biggest concerns, and I think it's tied up in a lot of things, but it's obviously got to be turnovers, right? Um, yeah, that's his that's his biggest detriment, I think, for sure. Because I was looking, and his turnover percentage is something like twenty two point four, you know. And I remember reading something a little while back, and it was like, well, you know, maybe counterintuitively, great passing point guards often have sort of a higher turnover percentage than normal um, early on in their careers because, like, they're willing to kind of take risks. They don't always take this the you know the safe pass. But at the same time, when I was looking at other numbers of just like guys in this draft class, other excellent point guards through history. I struggle to find someone who had a turnover percentage north of 20. Right. So, and actually I got it in front of me. Let's play a little game. Do you know what, um, I'm on cleaning the glass. Do you know what his percentile is for turnover percentage? <laughs> it's, is it like three? <laughs> it, it's one. It's one. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It was earlier in the year, and I haven't checked it in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it, it's at 20.2%, 20, which is in the first percentile. In uh, on Cleaning the Glass, which, as our listeners know, factors out garbage time and end of quarter heaves, but right. still roughly, you know. It, that's so, not a number you want. No, that's no. not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you make of that? Part of it, like... I was trying to think, you know, of I was like point guards who were similar to Frank that I could compare him to, and I think maybe a good thing is that I I, I had struggled to like think of comps for Frank. Yeah, no, that is a good thing. And someone actually asked me, you know, this is not specific to his turnovers or anything like that, but they asked me a good comp for him. Uh, there's a couple, but I think like a a more defensively minded, not more defensively minded, but a more skilled defensive um, version of like Mike Conley. Right. Um, and I think that's his ceiling anyway, um, you know, because he's not going to probably blow by you. Um, but, you know, he's, he's fast enough to get a first step, maybe keep you on his hip, that type of thing. But, you know, going back to the turnovers and that kind of thing, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much ingredient number one of being a kid. Like it's hard to adjust to this league. Rookies turn the ball over. Um, the other thing I think is, is a big thing with him is that uh, he's got a very a very short leash from Jeff Hornacek. And yeah. um, sp- specifically for turning the ball over, you see him come out of the game uh, right after one or two. So I think, you know, he's thinking about that. Um, the fact that he doesn't, you know, and I'm not speaking for him, obviously, but I think you play a little bit differently when you don't have to worry about making mistakes, when you're not, sure. you know, worried about what might take you out of the game, that kind of thing. So no excuses. He's turned the ball over uh, way too much, but... No, Again, you, you know, you adjusted the league a little bit. I love that silver lining, though. It's a very crafty silver lining because we have talked about it. It is true that he's played less minutes per game up to this point than most people in similar situations. Yeah, uh, for most sure. Most people are around 25 or more. Um, yeah, especially and, when you're the lottery pick on a tanking team. The lottery uh, pick on tanking teams frequently are up around 30 or even higher sometimes. So Yeah, yeah. For, and I wonder, I wonder, too, because they brought up about how... Um, you know his knee has been sore, but it hasn't stopped him from playing. Right. And I don't, I don't think that's really an excuse for his low minutes. But, um, but you know, I do kind of wonder about that. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned his shooting before, and then we kind of got sidetracked by turnovers. His shooting, um, his overall numbers are excellent. But is there any part of that game that you think he needs to work on more than another part? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd like to see him become a little less predictable and go left a little bit more, um, or at least become more smooth off the dribble um, going yeah. left. 
Um, you know, he's actually, he shoots it pretty well off the dribble from all ranges. Um, catch and shoot. Now that's a tough, that's a tough one because, you know, you want to be, um, as, as much a positive as you can across the board on shooting. And especially if he's going to be playing some two, which we will talk about in a little bit, I'm sure. But, um, you know, for right now with it, with him playing some minutes at the two, his catch and shoot numbers are not really as good as they are, uh, off the dribble. So, so why um, do you think, what would cause that? So I think it's a rhythm thing. Uh, honestly, I think yeah. you used to coming off the bounce, your legs are moving, you know, you stop and you go up. Uh, you're standing still on a catch and shoot. Even if you get, you know, a little bit of a shuffle, that that sometimes helps, but you got to go. So, and I noticed this from him too. I think this is something that I didn't put in there, but um, he's got quite a bit of a of a down and up, especially on a catch and shoot. So he'll he'll catch and he kind of dips down and comes oh, up. There's, there's a lot okay. a lot of movement there, and and obviously when you're coming off the dribble, that's just pretty much one movement. Um, right. because you're, you're low with your dribble and then you come straight up. So that's something that, you know, assuming we have a staff that pays attention to that kind of thing that I'm sure they'll, they'll fix in time. But, um, you know, that's just shooting. I think like he's not a great finisher. Um, he doesn't really get to the rim at a, at a great rate either. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one other number that's really bad for him is isolation scoring. I'm not sure how much, how much I'm counting on that improving. And that's not a knock. I just, you know, um, I don't think that that's an area of his game that you necessarily need him to get better at. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd, you'd like some improvement, I think, but uh, I'm much more worried about him kind of penetrating into the to the lane uh, because, like you said, you know, he is a decent passer, he's got decent vision, um, but right now he's a he's a bad finisher, and I think uh, his handle is, you know, we haven't seen it be a problem because he's throwing away most passes when he turns the ball over. It's not really uh, him getting ripped or anything like that, but right. I think maybe um, the uh, I think maybe the subtext of that is that he doesn't drive to the basket as much because he doesn't feel confident in his in his handle. So, um, how you know, concerned everyone, are you with his handle long term? One to ten. Um, like three. Okay. Like a three. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too concerned because, I, like I said, I don't see. You know, unless it's a thing that's just hindering his willingness to go to the basket. You know, that's that's the area that I would be concerned about, but. When I watch him dribble, I'm not like, oh, this is a mess. Get, you know, his defender's going to tear him apart. Like, I don't see that too much. But, um, you know, as, if there, you want to be a point guard, yeah, if you want to be a point guard, you need to tighten it up for sure. So. <laughs> right. Can you, can you off the dome think of point guards who have gotten a lot better um, off the dribble? I, there's a lot of examples of shooters, but I don't think there's as many in the popular imagination anyway of people who got better with their handle. You mean just specifically with the handle? Yeah. Like... <laughs> Can you I, think of any? I'm not trying to put you on the spot necessarily. You are putting me on the spot, but that's okay. Um, I can't, but you know what? Maybe by the time, maybe by the time this is over, I'll think of one. Okay. I'll, I'll tuck that away. Yeah. Um, thinking, uh, circling back to shooting real quickly, you had mentioned before the show uh, maybe talking about uh, maps, his shooting maps. Right. So that's more more than anything. That's just a caveat. Um, I have, you really have to double check your stats sometimes. So I'm, I was going across a couple stats for him, and if you're on NBA.com and you look at some of the shooting numbers, it'll sometimes provide a map. And I actually, um, friend of the program, Alex Wolf, I hit him up and I was like, Alex, can you find out anything about this? Like, what am I missing? Why does this look this way? And um, so the the shot chart for him was like from the left side from three. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but so if it's like it goes blue to red and if you're shooting in the blue you're like 
10 percentage points or less below average and if it's red it's like 10 percentage points or higher than average right from, from the right side he was like bright red and i was like there's no way he's shooting like 55 percent from three from the right side and then on the left side it was like completely cold um wow and i just i think that was like a sight error but it was just funny because it almost wow. ended up in the article and i was like i had to double check it because it looked so crazy i was like no nah, this isn't right so it turns out it's not it's it can be infuriating sometimes. Like when I first started doing the podcast and was checking stats um, more frequently than perhaps I had in my civilian life, you come across yeah. it a lot. Like Basketball Reference versus NBA.com. Like they don't, they'll use the same term, but they don't always line up. Like Basketball Reference's offensive rating is like this weird projection of how many points like a player would. Be, like, yeah. the team would score if he played however many minutes but on NBA.com it's just what the team's scoring rate is while the player's on the floor yeah it's a it's a mess that's why it's really good to have like a couple different sources to I, I understand now why media guys need like two sources <laughs> <laughs> for sure I want to talk briefly about play type before we get to Frank at the two versus Frank at the one um, what do you see out of him in like pick and roll versus ISO versus, I don't know, maybe like dribble handoff? Yeah. So isolation, he, I don't think he wants much part of typically. Um, he tries to get the ball out of his hands kind of quickly. Um, what were the other ones you said? I'm sorry. Pick and roll and what pick else? Pick and roll, uh, maybe dribble handoff, coming off the screen. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he likes coming off, coming off screens. Um, I'd like to see, like, he seems comfortable coming off the screens and popping from mid range. Um, I'd actually like to see him do it more. Um, as far as pick and roll, you know, honestly, I think it's a reps thing. Like, it's it's really tough. First of all, so, you know, there's been a stat out there about him and KP were the best two-man lineup for the Knicks. Um, and they've only, I think that combo was, was the 27th on the team as far as the amount of minutes they play together. So, um, my point is, first of all, the, the two guys that are supposed to be your future are extremely efficient together. That's a positive. But more than that, it's like, you know, he's playing so sporadically that I think pick and roll is a really a chemistry type of play. Um, you know, you have to be used to to your big, what they're going to do. You know, he's got to throw out, go out there with O'Quinn and KP and then like Cantor. Those are super different guys offensively who are going to prefer either to pop or roll or whatever. Um, and then, you know, same thing, Hernan Gomez not on the team anymore. So um, now he's got Cornette or Hicks or whatever. And, and those guys are actually playing now and he's playing minutes with them. So it's kind of tough. Um, I think he just needs more reps with some of those guys, but you know, he's, he's generally a pretty good decision maker yeah. out of the pick and roll. I think you'll get a lot more solid, actionable, to borrow a horrible term from the business world, um, information <laughs> off of what we see at the end of the season than earlier on, even though you could see a lot of what was going on with him and what he's good at and what he's bad at, his minutes were yanked around so much. Like, he did average yeah. an okay amount at 20, and people would point to that, but from game to game, it was, like, all over the place. Even right. within a game where he got a lot of minutes, he would be, like, yanked quickly, and then he'd play 18 minutes straight at the end, and it's like, that's another thing where, like, maybe he's tired the last four or five minutes of that massive stretch, but with his minutes kind of you know, evening out in the stretch run here, they look, you know, much closer to what a normal rotation would be for him. I think yeah. you'll start to kind of get a better feel for, like you said, those kind of more chemistry type plays, like a pick and roll. Yeah, and I'd love to see his his minutes even out, but um, as far as, like, you know, his production, that kind of stuff, like, if, if it's still sporadic 
late year two and year three, then I'd be concerned. I'm really, you know, I'm not concerned about that at this point. So yeah, for sure, that's why people get on me sometimes about why I'm more. Uh, what is it? Why I doubt Moutier's development more? And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's meaningful. He is young, but him being at the end of his third year, you know, there are all, all there are all kinds of caveats. You know, yeah. like the the way the situation shaked out in Denver wasn't good for development, blah, blah, blah. But you see some of these things that you're like, well, he could work on that on his own, like the hitch in his shot. You know, that's not about yeah. him getting minutes in the game, you know. Exactly, um, exactly. And his, his like awareness on defense, it's related to minutes, but it's also we can see Frank is getting no minutes and he's got great defensive awareness. So... Yeah, I mean, you brought up a two two pretty different things that I think it's important to note. Like, one of those things you can watch, and it's clear, like, that could be fixable. It's not, you know, it's not a given, but something like that could be fixable um, in regards to his shot. Yes. Um, but he's got three years in the league. I'm sure people have been trying to work on him with that. And then, on the other hand, you have defense. Like, I don't generally see that. You know, you, you talked about whose handle has improved over the course of their NBA career. More than that, how many guys have you seen become like below average defenders to even good defenders? Like it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, that's a good call. That does, that's not something that people tend to develop a lot. Um, let's talk about Frank at the two versus Frank at the one. I know you've got some thoughts on the matter. How do you think it's shaken out right now? Yeah, I mean, this was the in the comments section of that article. This was the hot topic. It got a little contentious. Um, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm I don't want to say like radical, but I don't like I don't have a lot of room that I'm willing to budge on that. I think uh I think you you go all in on him being a point guard and inevitably he's going to play the wing sometimes. Like I think that's cool to give him spot minutes, but um so yeah. for me, I wouldn't even mind if it was like kind of a 50-50 split right now. Um <laughs> And I wouldn't even mind if that meant that, like, some games he played the two just to get him in that, like, two rhythm. You know what I mean? And some games he played the one to, like, like fully get in that rhythm. But I am, I said this a couple episodes back, I put Jeff on notice officially. <laughs> I said, Horny, I just don't want to see him not be the primary ball handler, clearly the point guard on the court. Um, like... I'm worried that we're going to now go the rest of the season and not see him there at all. Because it has been about two or three games where he's always been on with another point guard and clearly been uh, the two to that point guard's one. Except for, you know, there have been sprinkles of him initiating the offense. Like, it tends to be more with Moutier. I don't think I've seen it with Burke. Um, Right, right, right. Well, that's what worries me the most. Like, I I don't mind him because... You know, on any given play, you start as one thing, and then defenders start switching, and different people have the ball, and oh, maybe now you're off ball. You were the point guard in the beginning, but now you're kind of functioning more as a two while like Hardaway's dancing around out there, or, or something. You know what I mean? Like, correct. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that's what, and it's cool that you brought that up because that's exactly it. It's not about him, like the position he's playing it's like you want him to develop the offensive skills that he needs right you know where his flaws are right now and that's what i care about the most um now in the long term the reason and the reason you want to develop those things is because uh something that i kept going back and forth with people on is like in the future if you want your team to actually be competitive not competitive but contenders or or whatever if, if you think that kp and frank are the pillars to 
um, you know, your success later on. I think like really good teams, you're going to not want a guy like Trey Burke or Emmanuel Moutier on there because those guys in the playoffs, like they find you, they slow the pace down. They run pick and roll every single time until they get a mismatch with you. And like Frank is defending one through four, pretty solid, you know, fours, he, he, he does okay. He, he'll switch onto a five if need be. And he holds it down for a position, but like one through three, for sure. Yeah. You're not worried about him at all. And, and that's what it is. Is like, you just you want him to be the point guard so you don't have to out of necessity throw a lesser defensive point guard out there with him. Yeah, it's an interesting time for the Knicks because they're clearly not in a position to compete for a championship. I almost couldn't finish that sentence. Uh, <laughs> what are so you talking yeah, about? Yes, again, yeah, no shit, James. Thanks for the insight. Yeah, and no yet way. you do want to build the team as if that's your goal. You want to develop players as if that's your goal. So uh, like the 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 Burke thing is the I just I guess I'm kind of waiting for his shooting to come back down to earth so I can talk myself back out of him because he's playing I said this on you know the Trey Burke sewed the other day mm-hmm. right now in very limited minutes you know while the Knicks are terrible and no one cares about them and isn't game planning for them and all that he is playing elite offensive ball for a point guard but I don't necessarily expect him to keep that up. I do think he's yeah. more of like a league average-ish point guard sort of at best. Although, I think he could be one of these guys whose offense is so great, but defense is so terrible that it, yeah, you're like a net almost negative. Yeah, and I mean, look, he's been trying on defense the last three games. Like, he's he looked really pretty has. good, and he's been good enough to keep on the, like, you know, you're not going to take him off at this point in the season anyway, but, um, but you know, he's been, he's been good enough to like comfortably leave on the floor out there. Um, but again, if you're comparing his defense with Nilakina's, it's, it's a wash, but, um, yeah, I mean, Burke's been good. And, and I think my ideal role for him, you know, whether not necessarily with the Knicks, but I think like he has plenty of potential to be a spark six man off the bench. Um, especially if he's coming in and giving you at least a good effort on D where he's not just, a total zero and you know a problem yeah i mean he i've been really impressed with his attitude he just looks so focused on the court like he smiled the other day and i was like <laughs> oh i haven't seen that before and not no, because he's... he's been angry he's just been like you can see he's taking it seriously he's he came from this vaunted position he had most of it taken away from him or you know to put it one way you could say obviously mm-hmm. he had a role in that but i think he realizes how like precious this chance is and you can see that he is not taking it lightly yeah i mean he's he's been very good he's getting the tim hardaway treatment where you know he bounced down to the, to the g league or the d league whatever it was at the time um and yeah he's been you know undeniably he's been playing really well since he came back up um he's scoring almost at will like you know he gets to his spots and and even when he takes tough shots, like he's making a lot of those. So, um, you know, you can't complain. But again, I think the argument that I had with so many people is like, is this your future? Like, let's not kid ourselves. So that's yes, why I do agree. To- yeah, toss You're him out there. to confirm that he can be an excellent sixth man for you. Right, right. And I don't think that's like impossible. I think, no. it, you know, that, well, that's, that that's might be a said, good role for him. I said this the other day on, on the show. I was like, that's actually a great find if they did that. Like... He was more or less out of the league, you know? Yeah, so, 100%. 100%. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> like, look at what Washington's going through. Trying, They got Ramon Sessions right now as right, their right. backup. You know, obviously they had Trey Burke last year. It's this whole weird, like, incestuous circle. There's Brandon Jennings going Jennings, back and yeah, forth. Yeah, exactly. 
But yeah, I mean, that's that's an important thing. So if they found that, that's good. I want to close the loop on Frank by giving him a pop culture comp. But first, just want to remind you guys that you are listening to Locked On Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We got a team. We got a team. Yeah, we do have a team. We got a team that produces podcasts for every team in the NBA and the NFL. If you like the Knicks, there's a good chance that you like the Giants. If you like football, uh, check out Lockdown Giants. I'm a Giants fan. There's also Lockdown Jets, I guess. But I know Lockdown Giants. They got new hosts, Patricia Trainer and Ed Valentine. They're doing a great job over there. If you like the Giants, you should check it out. Once again, that's Locked On Giants. Something we like to do on the show from time to time is take a player that we're talking about, give them a pop culture comp, you know, compare them to a character from the movies or television or, God forbid, literature, maybe a band or a musical artist of some sort. So, Dylan... I asked you to come prepared with a pop culture comp. It's go time now. Yo, I wish that I knew it could be, or not knew. I guess I didn't think that it could be a character from something. That would have been way cooler. Um, from, like, literature? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe. Um, oh no, I mean, well, so when I, let's see, when I when I get home from a long day of work, I like to pop on my favorite musical artist, Robert Randolph, oh. and uh, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, I think, oh. I think for, this, for this we're going to, yeah, nice nice uh, reaction to that. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think for this we're going to go Harlem, and there's a Diplomat song called I'm Ready. Okay. Um, so there's a couple things about this song. First of all, I think Frank is ready to be the starting point guard, uh, at least for the remainder of this season. Um, I hear you. And I, hear and you. I think and something else that's really cool about this song is there during the third verse, um, Cameron's verse. First of all, he's raps like two lines in French, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> not like not like fully in French, but uh-huh. you know, it's Jim Jones say Sibon and Santana Magnifique, and then he references the Eiffel Tower later. So. Yeah, I think Frank is ready to be the point guard. I think this was a this dipset Frank and Lakina matchup was one made in heaven, and um, that should be proof positive that he should be the starter. I like it. What is going on with Moutier being the starter? I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's like the worst thing that's happened, but I just don't quite get it. Like Frank's not- getting minutes, so it's not a travesty but i don't quite get it yeah and that's pretty much it it's not the worst thing because like nothing matters at this point um at least if he's you know frank's getting some minutes um but yeah i think like moutier is pretty clearly the like the third best of the available point guards um i don't know yeah i mean i guess you could say that like like, I don't know, Frank, or Jeff's thing, I think, has been he didn't want to maybe overwhelm Frank, which seems stupid. Um, but, you know, he wanted someone with more experience around the point. But, like, if that's how you feel, then maybe you start with with Burke. But I, I don't know. It, it really doesn't make sense to me. I can I can usually find something, even if I don't like it, like, oh, this is why it's happening. Like, I don't, I don't understand the movie, yeah. I think. It's just with Frank, like, we've seen him, you know, finally get some minutes. And I get... The weird thing is, at the end of the day, do I think his growth is being, like, so stunted that it's, you know, this irredeemable mistake? 
No. Do I think that they're, like, maximizing it, you know, like, and doing it as well as they can? No. And that's what kind of frustrates me, because when you talk about professional sports, it's really about wringing every ounce of efficiency out of everything that you possibly can. It's about wasting no possessions. That's why turnovers are so important and elite level, like the NBA. Like, even, like, a difference of two, three, four, five turnovers can be a huge deal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I see things where I'm like, well, yeah, it's not awful, but is it the best? And then I think to myself, no. That's the kind of thing where I don't necessarily think Jeff Hornacek is like the world's worst coach. But I just question so many of his moves. And I'm like, is this the very best that we can do? And I have a hard time saying yes. An impossible time. Yeah. And so I have a lot. I have a lot on that. So I'm the same way. I am, I'm usually the last person to... Um, bring my pitchfork to the fire the coach meeting or whatever. I hate doing um, it. It's just so yeah. like WFAN Vinny from Queens. Yeah, like, yeah. it happens fast. It happens fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and honestly, like, I, you know, we might have talked about this in the chat briefly, but like, I think that he did some things that people don't give him credit for. Like in the preseason, I thought, and I'm like perfectly fine admitting when I'm wrong, but I thought Sessinger was for sure the better player than Jack in the preseason. And then, he went with Jack, and Jack has been way better than Sessions was. Um, like he he made that move. He kind of seemed early on to like pull the right strings with Beasley, who was a guy that I thought like if he's playing, we're in trouble. And then he like won a couple games for us. Obviously, over the long term, he's not a net positive. I don't think, but right. um, yeah, I agree. You know, like he he makes a couple moves, and I'm like, yeah, I have to give him credit. Like I wouldn't have done that; it worked out. But then he also makes moves, and I'm like, all right, dog, like <laughs> get Moody <laughs> the fuck out of there. Um, but yeah, as far as you know, the long term and I don't know. I mean, I think like you talked about for his growth, I'm somewhere in between. Um, I don't think that they're like completely damaging him, but I also think like you said, they're, they're certainly not maximizing him. And I think like a young player's confidence like that is really important. Yeah. Um, like let the kids grow up a little bit. And to again, to talk now on a third thing about the efficiency, like that just really goes more into my argument about why he should why I think he's a point guard because that's that's going to maximize his potential. He's yeah. got and size advantage. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I, I don't think I got all the way to this point because I sidetracked myself. But but like um, we've seen with him getting more consistent minutes the past couple of weeks, like he is doing a lot of the things that we wanted him to do, and it makes me wonder like would those have come sooner if you had given him more minutes? Like he is being more aggressive offensively. I exactly. think his, his defense, you know, you can talk about the Ricky Wall, you can talk about the knee, and I guess you can never really know exactly what's going on. But even like that has kind of perked up again after looking a little bit lethargic um, mm-hmm. during some of this time where he's been, you know, uh, have had his minutes jerked around a little bit. So it's just it is a little frustrating when you see this because it's like, well, yeah. And not only is he performing better when he's getting some more burn, but, I mean, is it that hard to say that that little bit of uh, uptick in his performance would have made him an actual better player than Jared Jack? My whole thing is, I don't know that Jared Jack, he does a lot of good things, given, (laughs) you know, everything (laughs) that's going... Like, given that nothing is, is expected out of him. Mm-hmm. And he is was a calming influence early in the year when they were just looked like they were going to lose 82 games the first three right. games, you know. Right, right. Um, and that was valuable. But I think there were lots of arguments to be made that not only was playing Frank better for his development in the long run, but was better for winning, too. And yeah. if they had maybe given him a week where they let him play through his mistakes, 
what yeah, could I've, have been. I don't know. I don't think it would have changed that much the course of the next season, especially with Chris Dabbs cutting down. But you Right, know. right. Yeah, and I mean, he said himself, I think, after that game at Brooklyn on the 15th of January, um, you know, uh, Harlow was like, hey, you know, what was going through your mind, blah, 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 just your typical stuff. And he was like, you know, I just this the coaching staff sat me down and, and they said you know you just react don't think and I, I wasn't thinking out there I was just playing comfortably and it's like that's what you'd like to see like in like in 20 something minutes he had um you know he's a couple rebounds away from a triple double that was another thing I didn't touch on like he I think seven times out of the year he led the team in plus minus which is like whatever but more times than not like he was the positive and he was one of only a couple who was a positive so right. um yeah I mean like I like seeing him play with confidence. Um, you know, we talked a little bit again, like him at the one. I think just that maximizes his skill set. Um, and and you see it. You know, the last game at Golden State, he was more aggressive. I think he knows what his weaknesses are. The coaching staff tells him something, and he seems to work on it. Um, yeah. You know, they Golden State really didn't go to Clay very early when he was guarding him, and you know the league kind of knows like they're not going. They're not like. He's a 19-year-old rookie. Most most 19-year-old rookies get picked on um, as far as, like, trying to put them in pick-and-rolls or make them make decisions on defense. And, like, the ball didn't even really go to Clay. Um, Frank was coming off screen shooting. Like, he was being aggressive. He was doing a lot of the same things that we want to see him do. So I'm really not that worried. I just want to see him get the damn minutes to be able to prove himself and do that stuff. Yeah. We got a couple minutes left in the show. I want to tackle a couple things, some grab-bag topics that are not necessarily Frank-related. You had a couple of ideas that you sent to me before the show, one of which was something that I kind of wanted to talk about a couple of weeks ago and then forgot about it and lost the thread, so I'm really glad you brought it up, actually. And that topic is, how many vets does a rebuilding team need? I thought about this a lot during the trade deadline because a lot of people were like, you know, the Knicks should be sellers. Get rid of everybody! <laughs> <laughs> and I think most reasonable people would admit that it's beneficial to have a couple of guys around at yeah. least who can like show the young guys, you know, what it is to be a pro, tricks of the trade. So mm-hmm. given this backdrop, what do you think? I'm assuming I don't know, is there a hard and fast number? Does it vary based on the situation? Yeah, well so I, I did I have this algorithm for how many um no. I I don't know. Honestly, like I was that my more or less I sent that to you because I was also kinda asking you, like, the more I think about it, um, it can vary obviously. I think like I think you need a minimum of two. I think you need one on the floor and maybe one as like a locker room guy, kind of just like like you touched on, like a guy who kind of shows uh the younger players the ropes and like picks on them in a loving kind of a hazing way. Um I but, you went know, with it like no, sorry. I went with I had a minimum of three, mm-hmm. um, and I guess it depends on how many positions you're trying to develop at once. But my thought process was one big, one wing, one guard in the positionless future of the mm-hmm. NBA to kind of show those three groups of people roughly the ropes, and that can vary situationally. If you know your most important young guys, like a point guard versus a shooting guard, maybe you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I mean, but then I, also, I, like, if you happen to have someone who's on a good contract, who's like a shooting guard, like a Courtney Lee, let's say, um, yeah. but he's not your most important like mentoring position. Like, they don't really need to mentor Hardaway as right, right, much right. as Frank. And so, in that situation, you might want like four because then you want that point guard mentor for Frank. But I, I, I think like, and you've also you need a quorum of adults. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes too, in my opinion, it's I'm like I'm remembering my parents, and there was we came from a big um, Italian Catholic family. And Sam. Sam. So okay, yeah. So you know, so <laughs> yeah. I have three siblings. So there were four of us and two parents, and we easily overwhelmed them on many occasions. Mm-hmm. So I feel like with a full squad, you might want three. Yeah, and actually, but you know, that kind of goes to what I was talking about too about Lee. Like, you know, I don't think you need Lee, but he's the guy on the court that I guess I was referencing. Like, how how awesome has he been pretty much all year? Um, a lot of times they needed big buckets when they were still competitive um and he was kind of there he was like super solid on d um i will say this i want to say this about lee um he he must be a good professional in terms of his preparation he's having Mm -hmm. the best his best career year um in terms of some of the raw stats he bugs me a little bit in his reaction (laughs) to like foul calls like he gets he complains a lot out there, and I'm like, dude, you know, like just keep playing. I don't know. Maybe it's just because yeah. everyone is like that now. But it seems yeah. like he's got a little bit extra sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think I think the the good veteran is one of the most undervalued um, pieces in the modern NBA. But with that said, if tomorrow someone was like, "We'll give you two seconds for Courtney Lee," I'd be like, "Yeah, pack your bags." Yeah, like, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um. I want to touch on one more thing, which we hadn't actually talked about beforehand. So I'm kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a surprise, but I think you can All handle right. it. It's a hot All button right. issue. We got to tackle it. All right. James Harden making <laughs> Wesley Johnson look, you know, so I'm sure you've seen this if you're listening to this program by now. You're a fan of basketball. James Harden crossed up Wesley Johnson. He fell on his ass. <laughs> uh, Harden stepped back on three-point line, stared at Wesley Johnson, just kind of waited for him to get up. And then as he was getting up, slowly, gingerly, he knew it was coming. Harden <laughs> sunk the three right in his face. I want to know, is this more disrespectful than jumping over someone? Like, <laughs> we've, As Knicks, we've seen this a lot, right? We've got yeah. Vince Carter dunking over Frederick Weiss. That's like the uber example right. of this. We have earlier this year, thankful, like the only silver lining of KP's injury is that Giannis jumping over Hardaway has like, kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit because it happened in that same game. That I said that. So I was at that game. I don't know if I put that in, in our chat or whatever. Oh, but right. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, and that was like when I got home and, and because it wasn't until I got home that the tweet went out that it was actually an ACL tear. And that was like the first thing out of my mouth. I was like, man, Tim Hardaway is so lucky that this happened. Like, <laughs> like it's terrible. It's terrible, obviously. But like he benefits the by far the most from this because that would be like it's like, for example, when I say to you, like Brandon Knight, what's the first thing you think of? I think of who? Brandon Knight. No, I mean, like I know Brandon. Oh, Oh, okay. I got you. Well, when I say that, most people um, think about DeAndre like dunking on him. Um, the one where he like falls on his back and literally like looks like he died. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I didn't remember that that was him, honestly. But now I remember there were gifts where like he fell into like a casket. <laughs> exactly. And they like nailed it up. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And look, like to the average basketball fan who's not a Nick fan, like Tim Hardaway is not a household name. Like no. he was, he was in danger of being in that territory. So. Uh, and yeah. to me, the I think 
It's I think the Wesley Johnson thing is more embarrassing because if you if someone jumps over you, it's not really like you played bad defense. Right. It's, it's, like, it's a credit to their play, yeah. The guy is just a fucking animal. Like yeah. with the most unbelievable athleticism, you know. And it was the longest, most disrespectful look that I've seen in an NBA game. That was like Oh, it was very, God. very Rucker Park, yeah. And do they call a? Uh, I just want to say this: if Harden was on the Knicks, that would have been a taunting foul. <laughs> they they would have given him a technical for sure. I can't believe they didn't. But I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll take I'll take the tech on that if he's on the Knicks. That's fine. Oh yeah, you got it. <laughs> but all right, I think that's it for us today. I had a really good time talking to you, Dylan. Is there anything that you want to plug? Before we... Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, tell, them where, tell them where people can find you. Yeah, for sure. Postingandtoasting.com. I put uh, I put the good shit up there. That's um, true. true. But if you want to hear me just complain or break down stuff every now and then or, or make fun of uh, any given Knicks player that night, uh, follow me on Twitter, NYBBobserver on Twitter. Yeah. He's a good follow. Do it. Thanks again, Dylan. Thanks, James. So that was fun, right? Love talking to Dylan about the most shady Frankie baby. That's it for us today. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you got a moment, rate us on iTunes. Five stars. Don't be a dick about it. Leave a sentence or two review. I want to know what you think. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Tell your friends about the sensation that is Locked On Knicks if you haven't already. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Knicks. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA Injury Report. Be chill to each other and join us tomorrow for another episode of Lifetime Knicks. Peace.